like to start, um, if I may. Um, but just for this group, I, I need to sort of say some words by way of introduction, which is thank you very much for, for having us here. This is a great occasion um, for all of us to sort of recreate what the Inklings are. And I think, you know, the Inklings still live, if you like, you know, their spirit lives, and this is what we're exploring and seeing how we can take that forward. Now, in my case, um, I've always been Owen Barfield all my life, and grandfather's been grandfather all my life, but my journey with the Inklings has only been 15 years or so since I was appointed as literary trustee, and I kind of started looking into his work, reading his work, and studying his work. And from time to time, very rarely, I get invited to give a talk, sometimes here at Oxford as well. And whenever I'm at Oxford, I always start or try to say, if there's anyone in the room, any academics who can read and explain, particularly Barfield, please step forward because I don't really want to be here. You know, I'd rather somebody else be here doing this right now, but there just is nobody. You know, you, you wouldn't have found a stand in. So, you know, I'm sorry, but it has to be me. But who knows, maybe one day somebody will step forward. And I don't think it's because people at Oxford University are particularly dim. Also, you might have your own opinions about that. Um, I think it's because it's sort of countercultural, you know, and it's even more countercultural to be an inkling now than when the inklings were being inklings. So even then it was unfashionable to talk about things like Christ. Now, you know, you really be putting yourself, you know, outside of the norm to talk about Christ. So I think there's maybe that and we need to sort of overcome it and find those champions that will come forward. Since in 15 years of asking, I've had no response at all from anybody, um, I'm going to try another tact. And I'm going to say there were some clever people their names were Lewis and Tolkien. They heard what grandfather was telling them. They listened carefully and they applied it in their fictional work. Their fantasy literature incorporated Barfieldian philosophy. And they were phenomenally successful as Oxford academics. Now, other people have also incorporated grandfather's philosophy and probably he was most popular in the 1970s because he was a professor in America then. And there were some Americans like Saul Bellow and um, Howard Nemrov. Howard Nemrov went off and he was Poet Laureate for America and the Pulitzer Prize winner. And even right now, there's a lady called Susanna Clark and she's written a novel called Piranesi. And she was told about Barfield through Malcolm Guite. And Piranesi's just won um, the 2021 Woman's Prize for Fiction. So if you read Barfield and understand what he said and apply it to your fiction, I'm not saying that you will be instantly successful, <laughs> but I'm saying your life will be incredibly enriched. You will be like Tolkien. You'll never be able to see the world again. Everything will take on a new meaning to you. So I think I've said enough, but uh, yeah, please, can someone start looking at this? Right. When I was asked to pick something to read, I thought, okay, um, where, what do I do? And I thought, well, I'll just start at the beginning. So the first inkling book that was ever published was a fairy tale by Barfield. And Barfield had shared it with his best friend, C.S. Lewis, and Lewis had shared it with his friend Tolkien when Tolkien had kids. 
Both of them had really admired it. Tolkien in particular, because he got the feedback from the children as he read it to the children. They didn't want the book to be handed back to Lewis. And Lewis fed that back to, to Barfield. Um, so let's, let's start at the beginning. So this is a book that was published in 1925. It was published by um, Faber and Guire, who are the precursors to Faber and Faber. And this is the year that T.S. Eliot joined Faber and Faber. And T.S. Eliot and Barfield knew each other very well. Um, there's a sort of a long relationship there. So let's just start with the reading. And I'll stand up if you don't mind. It's not too long, this reading. But here we are. Uh, the Silver Trumpet by Owen Barfield, part one, chapter one. So it starts like this. Once upon a time, there were two little princesses whose names were Violetta and Gambetta, and they lived in Mountainy Castle. They were twins. And they were so like each other that when Violetta came in from a walk with her feet wet, Gambetta was sometimes told to go and change her stockings because the queen couldn't tell which from the other. But that didn't happen often because if Princess Violetta was out for a walk, Princess Gambetta was almost sure to be with her. Indeed, they were so fond of one another that you might have thought they were tied together with a string. All the same, the queen used to be so fussed and worried by the confusion that, what with one thing and another, she persuaded the king to appoint a special lord to distinguish between them. And he was called the Lord High Teller of Other From Which. The first thing he did after he was given this office was to decree that everyone should, carry them, should call them by shorter names because, as he said, their names both ended with Etta, and that made it much harder to tell. Why does it make it harder to tell, said the king? I don't see why it should make it harder. Never mind why, your majesty, the Lord High Teller replied firmly, but it does. Very well, said his majesty. I think you are rather a fool, but I will do as you say, and I will see that my subjects do as you say, because this is your job and not mine. And he went off hunting. So after that, one of the sisters was called Princess Violet and the other was called Princess Gamboy. Now, as it happens, the Lord High Teller the other from which was not a fool at all, but a very wise man. And he had noticed something about the two little princesses, which nobody else had noticed. Moreover, he knew a great deal about the magic power of names. For soon, after he had given them these new names, everybody else began to notice the same thing too. And before very long, it was the rarest thing in the world for anybody about the court to mistake one for the other. But first, you must know how it came about that these two princesses were so much alike, even after they were quite tall girls. Right. <laughs> I mean, people are probably unfamiliar with this book, and I can't hold that against you because it's not published. So one of the things I want to do is find a publisher. You know, there's so many things to do, but yeah, publishing this book is one of my, on my to-do list. Um, but I was wondering, well, somebody's got to say something about this book, so we might as well see what grandfather said about it. And so the grandfather explained that this book, this story of his, he wanted it for general 
consumption, a children's story, but he wanted to bring out the importance of the romantic element in relationships between a man and a woman. Uh, but more widely than that, the importance of the feeling element in life. And the silver trumpet of the title is a symbol of the feeling element in life, uh, which is, gets hidden and then is discovered again. So um, that feeling element, as grandfather understood it, is really a spiritual attribute of the soul. There are three principal feel um, spiritual att attributes. Uh, feeling is the central one, which is bounded on both sides by thought and will, an active and a passive. So you have this idea of active, passive and rhythm with feeling in the middle as a spiritual element of the soul. And of course, there's a prince that comes into the story and the princess marries the prince and the princess is, again, that soul uniting with the higher ego, if you like. So this is kind of the narrative of grandfather, which he was consistent. Everything he wrote was the same thing. So grandfather said, I just said the same thing time and time again. I just wrote it different ways, plays, novels, fairy tales, everything. He was just saying the same thing, which is that we have a soul, a spiritual component to that soul, and there's a destiny to sort of find our ego, if you like. Was that the only fairy tale he wrote? Or he wrote some others, shorter ones, but this, this was published um, by Faber and Faber. So. It's very early for the, the Inklings group. You think of them as fairy tale writers, but that you know, precedes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can really see it appealing to Lewis and Tolkien, certainly, in mm. the way that Lewis was such a fan of the George MacDonald sort of curdy stories. It feels in that kind of, mm. not, that sort of genre to me. Proof of concept as well, because I think they would have got the philosophy that lies behind it. Yeah, there, yeah. there was already a philosophy there. Yeah. And the idea of two indistinguishable twins with similar names also makes me think of the horse and his boy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe was written for and dedicated to Lucy Barfield, mm -hmm. my aunt. Mm -hmm. And he, he, you know, he, what Lewis was the god, godfather of, of Lucy. So he was yeah. kind of involved with the Barfield children as well. Yeah, so absolutely. Kind of, well, there's that wonderful there. letter at the beginning, isn't there, when yeah. he says, yeah. you know, I wrote this for you when you were a girl, but I'm, Probably by the t because you grow up faster than it yeah. than I write stories. That's by the time I finished it, you'll be too old to read it. That's right. Which I love. But you're never too old, really. You know, no. to read the underlying no. message from the fairy oh, tale. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and that theme of, of the names and the magic of names is something that all the share. Yeah, I try to emphasize that bit. The magic of names. That's, yeah, that's, that's, exactly. that's it. And. Um, Grandfather's next book was History in English Words. So his, his, uh, his theme was the evolution of consciousness. That's what his theme was. But he looked at it in evidence in language, which is where he connected with uh, Tolkien and philology. They were both philologists mm -hmm. and their love of language. And that book on poetic diction. Poetic diction came next. Yeah, yeah. Poetic diction was his thesis at Oxford University, um, which he had written as an undergraduate but he couldn't find a su supervisor. Nobody could supervise him writing that book. <laughs> so he just like hung there. Yeah. And then a few years later, he published it. Having dedicated it to Lewis, of course. And Lewis referred to it all the time in his lectures. Mm. 
Yeah, so say Williams, uh, Charles Williams, um, we speak say a bit more about this later, but we saw himself as carrying forward a tradition, a poetic tradition, and he's you know, he's clearly pastiching older poets like Swinburne and kind of um, going right back to Shakespeare and, and Spencer and you know, how he constructs his verse. And that wasn't really in fashion at the time, you know, what was in fashion was more like um, the love song of J. Alfred Prufrock and, and you know, Elliot and that school, uh, Pound and the rest of it. And Williams didn't see himself as... Um, doing something that was in fashion necessarily, but really speaking to what he saw as important. Um, you know, perhaps with that kind of yeah. that fairy tale mode being not something that Williams ever did, but in in that uh, same vein of, of wanting to find the true and represent it in a way that's startling to the, the current age. Well, poetry is keen there because both Lewis and Barfield, when they first met each other, saw themselves as poets, first and foremost. You know, so they, they had a kind of self-image as poets, mm -hmm. but they were undergraduates. Neither of them are that successful as poets, it should be said. <laughs> um, but, but Grandfather wrote long narrative poems, uh, you know, mm -hmm. and he finally got it published two years ago. So uh, <laughs> The Tower, which he wrote, has only just been published. And his long novel has yet to be published. So, you know, this is a story that's still unfolding. So his novel is called English People, uh, yet to be published. Uh, so there, there we have it. But um, yeah, they, they were introduced together as, oh, you two are poets, you'll get on. Kind of. and, and they kind of did. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So poetry is very important and uh, seeing themselves as poets and the romantic element in life as well, yeah. which is what the, the fairy tale brings through. Yeah. Don't know how encouraging this is for the uh, creative writing team here. Who are only hoping to get published with, within the next century. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying you had to take a long uh, view. I mean, grandfather always said that, uh, well, I don't know if he always said it. He told me once. Uh, so it was 1985 and I was helping pack up some stuff because he was moving from one place to another. And he said, you know, it'll be 50 years before my work is sort of accepted or acceptable in society. So 50 years takes us to 2035. So, you know, the fact that we're even talking about it now, we're, we're ahead of the curve. So well, well done on being here. But I think, he's, I think he was right. You know, he was right about a lot of things. And I think he was right about that too. The society is just not yet ready to hear what he was saying. A few intelligent people could pick it up like Lewis and Tolkien and they could incorporate it in the word. And I always thought that Lewis was a sort of signpost to, to Tolkien, you know, that they worked on that, on that level that, you know, Lewis was writing for a contemporary audience then and through Lewis they'll find Barfield. But if you know Barfield and then read back Lewis as I've started to do, you know, it's incredible the sort of richness that you can get out of Lewis because you're sort of reading back and you're seeing so much more of what he's saying knowing what Barfield was, was saying. Yeah, because they were talking together all the time. Because they were talking like together, yeah. yeah. And, that, and that's just starting to emerge. So there's a sort of C.S. Lewis scholar who just, just on Facebook, I noticed, made a remark. And um, he said, when Lewis talks about language and magic in that hideous strength, that book, The Hideous Strength, he's dripping with Barfield. So, I mean, that was last week. He yeah. stuck that on Facebook. Yeah. Not that uh, mm. anyone reads Facebook, but still. <laughs> yeah, I'm just trying to show that people are starting to come, they become aware of it. So um, if you want to say something original, original about C.S. Lewis, and over dinner we were discussing how many books we think have been published by 
C.S. Lewis, on C.S. Lewis, and the consensus was around 10,000 books have been written about him. <laughs> if you want to say something new, read Barfield and then talk about Lewis. I've got another little note that I wrote to myself, which is um, people were saying, well, who is Bob? Who is this boy? What, what is He's really the inkling to the inklings. <laughs> it's like a sort of a catchphrase, if you like. So he was not only the first and last inkling, but he was the inklings inkling. Um, and in a way that refers to kind of the apostle's apostle, um, Mary Madeline, she's sort of in the background, hidden, doesn't get a prominent role, but you know, so much there, so much presence, so, so important, bringing in an element that would otherwise be, be missing. So I quite like that uh, phrase as well. If anyone's got something else to say uh, relating to that fairy tale or fairy tales in general, speak now, because otherwise we'll move on to our next um, inkling, which Colin, uh, is you representing Tolkien? Thanks for listening to Mythmakers Podcast, brought to you by the Oxford Centre for Fantasy. Visit OxfordCentreForFantasy.org to join in the fun. Find out about our online courses, in-person stays in Oxford, plus visit our shop for great gifts. Tell a friend and subscribe wherever you find your favourite podcasts worldwide. <laughs>